0: Welcome to the Let's Talk Data podcast series presented by SAP, where we explore game-changing technology and strategies with leading experts with the goal of maximizing the value of data across your organization. If you haven't done so already, please follow or subscribe to our podcast on your favorite channel to stay tuned in.
1: Welcome everyone to our SAP Let's Talk Data podcast. Can your data be trusted? My name is Autumn Moss from the Global Product and Solution Marketing team here at SAP, and joining me is my colleague Kim Ziegler.
2: Hi, welcome. Let me start by introducing the Data Doc himself, Dr. Thomas C. Redman. Tom, thank you so much for joining us today. For those who may not know Tom, he is known by many as the Data Doc. He is the president of Data Quality Solutions. His company helps people and businesses realize the enormous opportunity their data offers and teaches them how to set up their organizations to become data driven. Tom, can you please give us some insight on what drove you to write your article, originally published in the Harvard Business Review, titled, Can Your Data Be Trusted?
0: Um, well, first of all, thank you, Kim and Autumn, for having me, and, and thanks to SAP too. And um, yeah, so if, I, I talk to a lot of managers in, in my job. So mostly I spend my time as a consultant and an advisor. And um, I ask a lot of managers, well, you know, is your data up to snuff? Was it good enough to make that particular decision? Is it good enough to make the decisions you make every day? And I find that most managers in the back of their mind, they have real questions about the data. I mean, after all, who hasn't heard of garbage in, garbage out, and if I get them talking, right, everybody will come up with an incident where things didn't go well. But still, data is in the back of their mind. And the first thing I really wanted to do was help them move it from their back of the mind to the front of their mind. So this business can your data be trusted? I am trying to use this set of data to make this important business decision. Do I have a reasonably complete and accurate picture of what's going on so that I can make the best decision I, I possibly can And, and so, so that was the main intent. I mean secondarily, I tried to provide some tools to help managers, you know do better figure out whether they can trust their data, not just go on gut, but have some hard facts to guide their thinking there. Thank you.
2: That is a great explanation for the background on on this article. And I actually think that's a great lead into our very first question. Why is data so important in business today? Um, If you can help define that for us, we can further understand what is good data and what is bad data.
0: So, yeah, that's that's a great question. I, I mean, first of all, I think it's trite to observe that nothing happens in any business today, practically anywhere on the world, in the world without data. and 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 I suppose the hottest topic right now is AI, you know, particularly generative ai as as companies are are struggling to, to um, to figure out how to use that and put it to work. And but I mean, like, even at that level, these things don't work. AI just doesn't work without high quality data. And and maybe doesn't work is the wrong way of, of thinking about it. The computer doesn't care. And but bad data in means bad data out. And of course, AI can't tell you that the bad data in and 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 bad out. So it's really even worse than just. Um, you know, not helpful. It's it's downright dangerous. And you know, look, AI is tough. There's there's um, without high quality data, you're you're not going anywhere. And and there's a bunch of good books on on this topic. Uh, one of my favorites was written by a woman named Kathy O'Neill several years ago, called Weapons of of Math Destruction, What somehow lost. The fact of the matter is, most people in most organizations today are simply not worried about AI, generative or not. They're trying to do their job. Maybe they're conducting operations. Maybe they're calling on potential customers. Maybe they're sending them their stuff. Maybe they're trying to figure out how much stuff to order so that when people wanna buy things, they have it in stock. And and so you know, the, just the day in and day out business operations, the garden variety decision-making that that people have to to go through every day. All that depends on data. And here is where the largest fraction of opportunity lies. I think it is fair to say that the dependency on data is growing. Now, to your question about what constitutes good and bad data, I, I, I like to think of it in terms of of fitness for use, and and so you know it's anything you can think of fit for use. I, I want to make a decision. I need this data. Is it fit for use in in this decision? And and we may use the same set of data in a in a, in another decision or in an operation or for planning. And it it's perfectly possible that fitness for use will mean different things in different applications. I find that fitness for use almost always includes something around relevancy is this stuff relevant to the task the decision whatever at hand and it almost always also includes you know some form of accuracy is this accurate enough to make the decision Conduct the operation. Now, you know, there may be plenty other sort of dimensions, other concerns in in fitness for use, but I find this is a, a, a good, handy, simple definition to carry around with you
2: and i think you you hit on something very important uh, in your one of the very first things that you said was that businesses are using data every single day but people in our day-to-day lives we're also using data and how can we trust that data is good or bad even in a personal sense beyond what businesses are doing right
0: I, I think that is a really good point. Um, I noticed during COVID, people are remarkably tolerant of bad data. And but I noticed during COVID, it's sort of like the ante got up, and a question like, well, when are they going to have toilet paper, or when are these kids going to be able to go back to school, or you know, when is this website going to work so that I can you know get my unemployment benefits or. Right. The questions that the the impact of bad data, especially during COVID, was so much more personal and so much more immediate. And and uh, and people became a lot less tolerant of bad data, I found, at least personally during COVID. And I'm hopeful and I see some examples of it, but people take that intolerance of bad data from their personal life into their work and and, you know, figure out ways to be a little less tolerant of of the junk that they have to work with and fix up every day just so they can do their job. Right. Well, and too, on a, on a personal level with
1: with data, you know, there's so many things that that data helps for for regular people um whether it's just making informed decisions um you know finding results ultimately maybe even improving people's lives but from a business standpoint data helps solve many problems whether you know and monitor performance uh improve processes solves different problems tom can you give us an example of when uh, you know data is not trusted and how that may negatively affected a business or
0: a business decision? So let me give a couple of examples. One at an extremely high end that I don't think has gotten the attention it it deserves. But, you know, I'm sure you are aware that every 10 years in the United States on years that end in zero, um, a census is conducted. You know, there's a bunch of rules around who gets counted and, and so forth. But one of the uses of that Census is allocating or apportionment is a better word, apportioning number of seats in the House of Representatives to, to the various states. And um, and so this is a big deal. I mean, lots and lots of federal money gets based on, on the number of people that are counted in your state and lots and lots of impact in the legislative branch based on the number of, of representatives you have. But uh, my work and some some stuff I did with R- Roger Hurl i somebody mean, depended on some of the census's own estimates of their error rate suggested as many as six states did not get the number of representatives they should have. Um, three got one too few, three got one too many. And, wow. and um, so, you know, this is a big deal. Um, yes. this, the second example you mentioned, and we talking about personal, I mean, it's it just is so, so personal about, but the second example I'd like to say go over is where bad data led to mistrust in a company. And mm-hmm. um, you know, it just happens to be some person I know and they're trying to complete a project and quite literally they needed a can of blue spray paint. And uh, so they went on the website of one of the big box stores and you know there were two or three in the area and they found out that they that one of these stores had this blue spray paint that they wanted and and so this person figured well you know I'll go to the store maybe there's some other stuff I need I'll look around and and so forth it was about a 20 minute drive and they got to the store and there was no mm. blue paint right no <laughs> blue paint on the shelf right and and so they asked the salesperson, you know, said, "What happened?" You know, the website said you had blue paint, and the salesperson said, "Well, that's never right. You know, you should have done something different." And <laughs> so, well, I mean, I, you know, I hear in your laughter, so everybody knows what happens after that, right? This individual is never going to trust this this company again. And in effect, I mean, the decision that was made was, you know, the decision to drive to the store. But in in the course of time, is you know, an hour, hour and a half lost that and pretty darn frustrating hour, and hour and a half that could have been used more predictably uh, or more profitably. Frankly, I find that everybody, when they think about this, they can come up with a dozen stories, you know, just in the last two or three weeks in their personal life.
2: You just hit on it um, that this is not only a modern day business problem, but it is extending into our personal lives. So, where does that responsibility lie for bad data? Is there someone out there, a person, that is cleansing and cleaning up data for business and personal use? Or is it now becoming an individual problem that uses that data for? for finding where the problem actually lies?
0: Right. So so look, this is a really important question, and let's unpack it slowly. I think the practical reality is that in most cases today, the person using the data assumes responsibility for the quality of that data. And so, you know, like we started this with a discussion of decision makers Right in the article, we talked about a one-time decision that needed to be made, and trying to amass a bunch of data and check whether it's correct. I mean, it was a new use, and so probably it's okay that that the decision maker. and their team is responsible for understanding the quality of data by the way it's not just cleaning it up some data can't be cleaned up and and sort of you know isolating data that can't be trusted figuring out which data that can and and then you know there's 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 some that should be isolated some that should be trusted implicitly and some in the middle that you can you can use with caution or or you can clean up um, but look that's not the normal situation and and I, I just want to start with an example. I find, you know, people in sales are remarkably tolerant of bad data. And so a typical salesperson depends on leads data that they get from the marketing department. And and you know, it's a, a little bit of a metaphor, but but not that much. But they come in in the morning and they're tasked with making a bunch of calls and, and so forth. Maybe they even have metrics around that and, and they look at the data and it's not fit for use. It's not good enough to go make a call. And so what do they do? They clean up that data. I mean, a lot of them spend half of their day cleaning up the data so they can go make the make the call. And and um and then of course, you know, when they make a sale, they're no better at at, at entering data and, and providing data for the operations person. And and so the operation person has to clean it up. and And in effect, what we have is we have this sequence of things where everybody is cleaning up data from the person or team right in front of them, or maybe two or three steps in front of them, but they're cleaning up data from that the, that they need every day. And they do this every day, day in and and day out. And I hope you are going in your mind. Oh my goodness, how ridiculous is this? You know, am I doing this too, right? And and so but the secret to to sort of getting the roles and responsibilities is, right, is first of all recognizing that this is just dumb. This is no way to run an organization. This is no way to 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 be a salesperson. And and there's many ways of expressing what you're going to do about it, but But I like thinking about it this way. Uh, That salesperson, that operations person, that person in marketing, they're every day in in two roles. They're both a data creator um, creating stuff that the next person or team in line is going to use. And they're also a data customer of stuff from people upstream of them. Right. And and. um, And they're blithely going about this work completely unconnected. And so the key is it's time to become a good customer and a good creator. And and what do you do when you're a good customer of anything? Well, you, you you think through what you want. You figure out how to communicate it to the person providing what you need. In this case, the data creator. You put some metrics in place and figure out, well, you know, I had these 10 requirements. Looks like we're meeting seven of them pretty good three of them not so well and one of them really bad. Let's work together and, and figure out how we're gonna, you know, improve the process that's sending me such bad stuff, okay? And any person in any company can take that step. The fact of the matter though is, is we need to do this at scale. And and so we need to do it across entire companies, right? We need We, we need everybody signed up for this thing. And that's where senior leadership simply has to come in, right? To make that simple, those simple roles that we talked about, make them the norm across the organization. The fact of the matter, by the way, is is almost everybody loves these roles. And they love them because it's so much better than coming in and cleaning up a lot of junk. Mm -hmm. Um, It's way better to think about doing your job. It's way better to think about making the next person in line more effective than it is to clean up stuff from people upstream of you. And so the data quality task for senior leaders is to build the organization structure, communicate these roles, build the organization structure such that they become the norm across, if you're a team leader, your team, if you're a department leader, across your department, if you're a company leader across your entire company.
2: Well, it seems like it is a tremendous waste of time in the example that you have given us, that it's the next person that is looking for discrepancies from the previous person and in your example of a salesperson that could be out there making, generating sales, creating new workflows for them or their team, that they're spending so much of their time looking backwards saying, is this even correct? Can we even proceed with, um, with these leads, with these options in front of
0: us? So, look, I think you said it exactly right. The typical job today consists of two parts. And it's like doing your job and dealing with mundane data issues so you can do your job. And, yes. and, uh, and, and, and by the way, I, I say it in ways that I hope people go, yeah, that's really dumb. Right. It is really <laughs> dumb because the opportunity to make it so that you, you know, let's say you're spending 50 percent of your time on both these tasks. Well, you know, in in three months' times, it's realistic you can be spending seventy five percent of your time um, doing your job and twenty five percent of your time on on mundane tasks, and so maybe, maybe you can get like to ninety ten. And the productivity gains when you get you know get to do this, it's almost like doubling the size of your sales force. Absolutely,
1: and I think you know, Tom, Kim, you both are spot on. Um, you know, with the sales perspective, uh, me coming from sales always dealt with that too, you know, incorrect data, whether it was company data, um, you know, contact data, lead information. So I used to always try to make sure that I left, whether it's a contact record, a lead record, you know, make sure that data was a little bit better than I found it. So Tom, here we are eight years later, after you originally published this article, and it's clear that the problem of bad data persists and may in fact grown into a deeper, bigger problem. So what steps can we as business professionals take today as we begin to resolve these discrepancies?
0: Well, so so first of all, I mean, I think you described it right. Two things have changed in the last eight years. Uh, one is data is way more important and the trend is it will become increasingly important. And the second is a bunch of organizations have really showed the way. And so, you know, this conversation we just had, I mean, it's not simply, you know, us spitballing on what it will take. I mean, these ideas work and they work in practice. And most people and most companies enjoy doing it. But I really like the way you pose the problem because, you know, you pose it not as we're data professionals, but we're business professionals. And that's an important distinction. I mean, so if you're, you know, waiting around for, you know, somebody in technology to solve this problem for you or or somebody, you know, some architect to redesign the, the technology such so that the problem goes away, you know, you're going to be waiting a long time. And I just want to reiterate, I mean, anybody at any level can do the things that that um, that we just talked about. Um, and in lots of companies they have, Th- these people are so important, we give them the name provocateurs, right? Because they've changed the direction their company is on with respect to data quality. And, um, and while their, you know, motivation was simply improving their performance or their team's performance or, or whatever, they also show, hey, this is the way this works in this company, but also, I mean, so look, I mean, I think the bottom-up work. There's plenty of bottom-up work that's being done. There's an expression that goes, "All change is bottom-up. Uh, all change is top-down," and it really reflects that early on. You know, we depend on an individual initiative. But but after a while, you know, if things are going to change across an organization. Uh, senior leaders have to drive things forward. And from my standpoint. There's been plenty of terrific bottom-up work. And it's time for senior leaders to see the opportunity for themselves and their companies in this.
1: Absolutely. Definitely, definitely agree. And I think this is a, a conversation that could go on and on and on. Um, you know, as as challenges continue to happen, as trends continue to happen, and you know, as data just increases
0: as a whole. Um Can I make one
1: more comment here? Absolutely,
0: absolutely. I don't want anybody to improve data quality for data's sake. I I want them to improve data quality because it makes their operations work better. I want them to improve data quality because it increases sales, because it enables them to make better decisions, because it makes their chances of success with AI better. Right. None of what we've talked about here should be interpreted as data quality for data quality's sake. I mean, there is a deep and intimate tie between business performance and and data quality. And this should be driven by the business performance.
2: Well, that's that's it It, it, to make things better moving forward we need to to recognize that bad data exists but we can make this this change and let's not do it for the data the data is, is simply data let's make the data better for use to simplify to speed up to to offer business professionals the correct information and make the best of themselves and their jobs and their performance. Um, You know, and I I think that it's so important in this article that you have brought to light that we just can't trust it. Um, Always go into reading your data with a a healthy amount of skepticism and know, and know where, be able to have the opportunity to recognize that this may not be accurate. Um, I think more on the personal side, what you choose to do with it is your business, but on the business side, we have to get better.
0: Yes. You know, just just to p- sort of put a capstone on this, I mean, you shake a tree and, and, you know, 22 consultants or articles come out and and they extol people to become data-driven, to use data more. And But the simple reality is the data shouldn't be trusted now. And I don't think anybody should be telling people to use data they don't trust to do anything. That strikes me as, I don't know, maybe it's a little short of malpractice or maybe it's even worse than malpractice. I'm not sure. Possibly.
1: I think that that's a a very interesting way to kind of think about that. Um, Goodness, like I said, we could continue this conversation for some time. Um, I think that this is a great topic um, and, you know, Tom, as always, it's always a pleasure talking with you and getting your insight on on data in general. Um, and, of course, thank you to everybody, too, for joining and listening to our SAP Data Podcast. Um, Tom, I know that we have a, a upcoming book release from you soon. Do you want to talk a little bit about your upcoming book,
0: uh, well, thank you very much for that. Yes, this book is called People and Data, and it really stems from the observation uh, that, uh, first of all, um, that you can't do anything in the data space without people. Uh, you know, you 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 can't uh, improve quality without people stepping into roles as customers and creators and and so forth. And it's, I mean, just anything in the data space, go through and look at the work and and who needs to do it, and and that's one reason, but. But sort of even more important than this is, is you know one of the greatest thing in in my career, as seeing how people empower themselves with data. Um, you know they 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 get the data where they can trust it and they start thinking of new ways to do it. It's it's just so empowering to them and and you see them in March and what they're doing and then you see them in July and it's like tom we changed the way we doing stuff and we're not go- ever going back this is just so much better the only example i've really been able to come up with for the empowerment is you know when i when a child is about 5 or 6 or 7 you know something in that age they they learn to ride a bike okay and and they can't ride the bike they can't ride the bike you know mom and dad or are, are behind them, encouraging them and stuff. They can't ride the bike, and then all of a sudden they can. And mm. when they do that, these kids, I mean, they're intolerable for a few days, right? It's, oh, <laughs> look what I can do. And it's, oh, mm. Dad, look, I can only hold on with one hand. and I, Right? <laughs> it, it is such, and it's so empowering. And and I don't yes. know if at the back of their mind it goes oh, I can go to my friend's house. I can do this, this or that. But the best part of my career has seen how I don't, in my day-to-day job, teach six-year-olds to ride bikes, but I do teach them about how to organize for and use data. And the empowerment, seeing the empowerment, is just the best thing ever.
1: I actually got goosebumps right now when you were talking about (laughs) riding the bike and then just that moment of just you know, like you said, empowerment and and freedom and just opportunity. Um, I think that that is super, super exciting. And we look forward to the release um, and super excited that it's coming up soon. Um, Also, we are going to be having another discussion here very, very soon with Tom discussing um, an article that he had previously written about bad data is sapping your team's productivity. So we look forward to that as well, Tom, to our listeners. I encourage you to take a look at the additional resources available within the description. And also, please subscribe to the series to stay tuned for new episodes and get caught up on ones that you might have missed. Tom, again, thank you so much. Kim, you too, thank you. And uh, to everyone else, thanks again and be well.
0: Thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Check out the show notes for additional links to information. And please subscribe or follow to join us on the next episode of Let's Talk Data presented by SAP.